We gotta go to the bullpen. Welcome to the Highland Bullpen, the all-new podcast bringing America's pastime to Scotland shores. It doesn't matter if you're a Hall of Famer heading for Cooperstown or you're fresh out of the minor leagues, this is the podcast for you. Welcome back to the Highland Bullpen, everyone, and where else to start but with the Detroit Tigers, my own team, and of course the historic 500 home run from Miggy Cabrera this week. So I'll just give you a wee update on how the Tigers have been doing. Yeah, the Tigers have been doing okay. Um, you sort of see the, the they've been leading towards 500 for a few weeks now, but uh, they just seem to slip a wee bit further away all the time. I think at one point they were like two or three games away from 500. You looked at the schedule and thought they've got a wee opportunity there. Uh, so that that I think from a team perspective must be the next big goal. AJ Hinch said earlier in the season when we had our first winning month. I think they've had three now, amazingly. But he said the first one, that's the target. If you have a winning month, and then if you have most months in the season that are winning months, you will potentially get to the playoffs. And, and there's logic in that. What, what is the season six months, April, May, June, July, August, September? Mm-hmm. So yeah, if you win, if you've got a winning record in four months, the, the chances are you're going to be the upper 500s and, and the upper 500s, I think, get you, get you a playoff spot. So so that's the goal. But yeah, the, we'll talk about it more shortly, but the big 500 is obviously Mr Cabrera. Indeed, indeed. I was going to say for the Tigers, Alan, it feels like, don't know if you guys are Peanuts fans, the Adventures of Charlie Brown, Snippy, etc. But it feels like that bit where Lucy puts the American football down for Charlie Brown to kick and he almost thinks this will be the time I'll kick it. This will be the time she won't pull it away. And for the Tigers, it's always been, this will be the time we'll reach 500. This is the time we'll get there. But yeah, yeah you're a little bit away from that just now, Al. I think the last 10 games, you've won four and, and lost six. Four, so we're kind it? of, yeah. yeah, trending slightly down. But yeah. again, you know yourself, the, the way the season's panned out, all it takes is a, a hot streak to last, you know, a week, 10 days, and you can get right back up there again. Yeah. They have had one of those hot streaks. I think they had nine in a row at one point, which for a team of the Tigers, <laughs> nine in a row, not eight and three quarters, not ten in a row. Uh, but for, for the Tigers, is is a pretty good record. Was it the Cubs or something just now? Like with the, with the six, something crazy, like 12 games, and the, the Orioles were something like 16 games without a win, but the Cubs were something crazy as well for for a major franchise. Without a win, yeah, I, I meant to sort of research this. I just saw something recently that suggested, and the word they used was tanking. Is this a is this a thing in baseball where you know the teams that have lost it this season, you know, they're now sort of battling it out to see who can 
finish absolute bottom so they get the top draft picks and all that goes with that next season. Is that is that a thing? Is that Washington doing that? Or, you know, trading all the guys? I know that happens anyway, you know, at the trading deadline, if you're not in contention, sometimes clubs will trade some of their talent and start to rebuild. But is there a possibility that teams like Baltimore are really aiming for the bottom? They're doing well as well, aren't they? They're going to do it and just to get the top picks next uh, next draft. I'm sure Alan spoke about that maybe a little bit. I remember about a year ago when he was talking about Tigers' performance the year before. Um, there's always part of me, though, that thinks any professional sportsman, when they're going out onto that, that field or that pitch or that track, whatever sporting endeavour you, you take part in, when the juices get flowing, you, you're going to go for it. You're going to give it everything, everything you can. Um, whether or not it may influence a coach's choices. So he may, instead of fielding his strongest nine every opportunity, he might one or two, might give him a rest a bit more often, strategically perhaps. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to think that players, when they're out there, give their all. Um, nobody oh, wants yeah. to be the losing team. I'm sure you're right there, Dave. As I say, I didn't, um, didn't have quite a time to look into it, but I think the suggestion was that the organisation was really pointing them in that direction by their whatever they do at the trading deadline, who they pick on the roster, who they send down to the miners. You know, yeah, the players who are coming in, it's their opportunity, and they're going to play the hardest to win. But, you know, there's only so much you can do if you're playing against top teams who are in contention and, you know, they're, they're not picking really the strongest lineup. I think we touched on that when we talked about the trading deadline because it's only the big it's only the, the winning teams and the teams with a chance of the playoffs that really trade big. So if you're tanking near the bottom, I think you seem quite content to trade your big players have not got you into playoff position. So you're prepared to trade the your decent players, give them a chance to play for a, a winning franchise, take in some prospects and and, and then yeah mm. get a better draft pick at the end of the day as well so it does happen I think I'd like to believe in Dave's theory there as well that professional teams don't deliberately lose I don't believe that happens but it's a game where you can possibly depending on the players you pick yeah. it's uh, for us to follow isn't it I'm a bit of a football fan this is sort of the franchise operation isn't it there's no danger of them being relegated and dropping down on division in the same way that, you know, the, the deadline in sort of Premier League, if you're in the bottom three and in danger of losing Premier League status and all the money and every prestige that goes with that, they will, they're buying players to try and stay in the league, whereas it's it's the opposite. And then this is one criticism of the, um, the Red Sox, you know, they believe that the, the fans and the forums believe they didn't back the team by trading um, it sufficiently at the deadline. So what they're saying is that this is showing that the organisation um, hadn't didn't have faith in the team, even though they were top of the league, didn't really believe that they were going to be, um, they might make the playoffs, but were not genuine World Series contenders. So did it, weren't prepared to 
bust the luxury tax and go for the, the big signings, you know, uh, that the fans really wanted. And of course, I hesitate to mention this to you, uh, Yorkshire Dave, but at the same time as that's been happening, the Yankees have absolutely hit a red hot vein of form there. The, the last 10, the 110 of them, the most informed team in baseball over the last 10 matches as well. And obviously, I've now you know, overtaken the Red Sox in the, in the <laughs> division as well. And I, I can't believe, I, I mean, I know we've, we've taken a, short, a, a small holiday over the last couple of weeks here in the bullpen, but I can't believe how much the, the fortunes of the Red Sox and Yankees have switched about in the last two weeks. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, I've listened to a couple of podcasts recently and they, they, they're passionate fans, are the Red Sox? And uh, they, they certainly get into the team and the ownership. And, you know, the, the Red Sox-Yankees thing, you can, you, you can just see exactly what they're talking about in that they highlighted the need for an impact player at first base, left-hander, and everyone was talking about Anthony Rizzo, a player I really like, everyone likes. He's a likeable guy, isn't he? You know, and um, they didn't sign him. The Yankees did, made an immediate impact. In fact, there was a game um, in, in the series in, in the Bronx which highlighted everything about that trade and non-trade. He made a great defensive play to Rob, I think, uh, Poor old Bobby Dolbeck, who I quite like, who's getting a lot of stick, the, the Boston first baseman. And, um, you know, it almost seemed like to, in a nutshell, put that what is deemed as being a big mistake for the, But the other thing is, there's no guarantee that Ritzo would have, would have been able to make the trade and Ritzo would have come to the Red Sox because, um, you know, they might not have been able to give up the prospects that the other team wanted, whereas the Yankees, um, you know, that they made two big, big trades, didn't they? Gal, Gal, impact trades, Gallo and um, and Rizzo. Uh, I mean, the Red Sox have got Schwarber. Carl Schwarber is a really good hitter, possibly even a better hitter, left-handed hitter than Rizzo, but he's not a first baseman. He couldn't make an impact because he was injured when when they actually signed him. So, there was a delay for a couple of weeks, but he's, he's playing well. Chris Sales come back into the lineup. These are the positives, you know. And um, although they've, you know, they've come from having probably the third best record in all of baseball, top of the AL East, nine or ten games ahead of the Yankees, and they're now two and a half behind them. They're still just in the second wildcard spot, and and their record is still something like the eighth best in baseball, you know, 0.563, is it? Something like that. And, um, yeah, so I don't think they're done yet, but if they make the playoffs, I'm not really sure I can, with the hand on heart, say, yeah, this is a contender for a World Series. But you never know. Indeed, indeed. We'll tell you, we often talk here in the Highland Bullpen about how baseball has an infinite capacity to surprise Sometimes that means you encounter a rule you've never heard of or a play that happens once in a blue moon. But on the subject of the Yankees, you know, the, I encountered a stat the other day which literally, oh, well, not literally, but metaphorically blew my mind <laughs> uh, concerning the Yankees. 
It's not actually about the game in terms of hitting, pitching or throwing. But the Yankees, during their recent successful streak, have had a chap called Andrew Velasquez in the team. He's featured in 12 of the last 14 games as we speak just now. Doing well, at least one home run that I can remember. But there's something absolutely remarkable about him and the New York Yankees. I'll give you guys a chance to guess at it. I think it's so remarkable. I don't even think you'll guess what this Andrew Velasquez, what his historic moment is in terms of the Bronx Bombers. Any hints, Richard? Straight in for hints. I, I, I know. I admire, I admire your approach there, uh, Alan. Why take the hard road? Quite right. Quite. Right. I've actually already given you a hint, Alan. I would say in my last sentence before you just responded there. So, if you think about uh, this guy and what he's done for, you know, for the Bronx Bombers, I think that will be maybe a bit of a hint there. Is it home runs? The longest home run of the season. I would say, think more geographically, I would say. Dave Jr., you're, you're good on your American geography, etc. Any guesses? I am snookered, Richard. I'm snookered. Okay, there seems well, to be a wee bit of an emphasis on the Bronx Bombers, though. So, um, as Dave right. said, maybe leading to a, a bomb of a home run. Um, I think makes, we're going to need some more. Makes sense. And for the benefits of American... Uh, listeners then snookered maybe we should say eight ball pulled instead who knows yeah, but, behind the eight ball. yeah. yeah absolutely well, my fellow bullpen bros are behind the, behind the eight ball so let's see if we can help them out here Andrew Velasquez in the history of the New York Yankees the Bronx Bombers is the first player they have ever had who was born and raised in the Bronx <laughs> really first player in the entire history of, of a franchise to be born and raised in the Bronx. So, I mean, their history, Lou Gehrig, the legendary Lou Gehrig, was born in Manhattan, Whitey Ford, the winningest pitcher in Yankees history with 236, was born in Manhattan, lived in Queens for much of his life after that. And Joe Torre is a Brooklyn native. Yeah. But Andrew Velasquez is the first player in the history of the Bronx Bombers to actually be a Bronx bomber. So I thought that was quite a nice piece there. I know America is a big country, we often remark upon it, but it still seems amazing to me that in the city the size of New York, in one of its major boroughs, uh, the Yankees had never never previously found someone to, to play for them from their home turf, so to speak. So yeah, that was that. Everybody loves a homegrown boy. Absolutely, no, absolutely, Alan, it is. But it's, yeah, yeah, just one of those pieces there. As I say, it's not about hits or pitches or throws, but really it caught my eye as well. And uh, But then talking about history, there's been that really significant piece of history we alluded to earlier on, 500. And I know we've got a lot of fans of Miggy here. Who'd like to Who'd like to be a lead-off man paying tribute to that achievement? Um, I'll happily go for it as the... As the native Detroiter, does coming from Dingwall allow me to be a native Detroiter? Yeah. Uh, fin- fantastic stuff. One of the things you were talking about earlier in terms of um, timing and, and, and waiting for stuff and the, the Charlie Brown getting closer and closer. Uh, 
Miggy went about 15 games to get to 400 from 498 to 499. Uh, but then got his 499th, I think, missed one game and then hit 500. Uh, and, and I did read a good article on, because we love our stats, I did read a good article on the 28 players have got to 500. I think two of them had to wait over the winter to get there, we're, we're stuck in 499. And and one of the lads was on 499 in his last game of the season, which is, um, you, you would just be terrified of picking up some sort of injury or something like that. You're you're that close there as well. So a fantastic achievement. Uh, 28th player in Major League Baseball. I think the sixth, surprisingly the sixth international, which probably shows you we're watching Major League Baseball seen as very much an international sport now, but that's probably more of a latter day thing. He goes back to the days of um, when the stats picked up of, of the 28, I think nine of them have hit 500 and a 300 average, uh, which includes the legends of Babe Ruth and an even Willie Mays and an even bigger legend in Ted Williams, uh, who we may have heard about on the show before as well. So that is the sort of company. Miggy is in. Um, it's interesting. I was going to make the comment he's done it in a team that have had elements of success in that time, but not the most successful franchise. But it's interesting because probably that's an individual aspect of the game. So you can have that skill uh, and then, then go and do that. Dave, did you have some thoughts on Miggy or wanting to say something there? Yeah. I mean, I, I often harp on about this. But I just think it's another great sign of the sport and how you do not need to be in one of the top tier teams. I'm, I don't mean that as any disrespect, Alan, but when you look at most of the... If you, we always try to translate things back to football in the UK. If you look at the big players, very rarely do these guys at lower teams or non-winning teams get such accolades. Um, but if you know someone like Miguel Cabrera, I might be looking through a bit of a modern baseball fan's lens. In Detroit, I, I'm very well aware that Detroit have got a fantastic history. But during Miggy's career, I, I don't think they have. But so for someone like that to to make such an achievement, it says a lot about the man, about the club, about the fans as well. It, it'll be huge to them as well. I mean, you look throughout baseball and you look at maybe another poor team like you're the Angels, and you, you know we've talked so much about Otani. You talk about Mike Trout. These guys, when we're talking about home runs, I know there's, there's more to talk about for Otani later, but every club has their legend, and you do not need to be challenging for titles to reach that status in baseball. Uh, guys like Miguel Cabrera, it clearly means a lot to you. You'll mean a lot to the Detroit fan base as well. Um, I just think it's absolutely fantastic that you can have these types of wonderful achievements without having to win the big one yeah he's a couple of MVPs a triple crown uh, so he's done it done it all there from the from a batting perspective um, so so fantastic stuff um, I loved as well a couple of the stats we've picked out as well I think it's 37 different ballparks he's scored in as well uh, I think that's a that's a perfect ground hopping type situation. So he's obviously managed to pick up seven uh, other ones. Um, 346 different pitchers uh, have pitched at him for his uh, 500 home runs. 
uh, and it includes seven walk-off home runs. I did wonder if it would have been a wee bit higher, but it's, the, the numbers aren't always going to fall into place for you. That's that's pretty much one every couple of years. Uh, so for one guy doing that, uh, I think absolutely fantastic stuff. So I love it. And one of the other things you're talking about, the football comparison, Dave, I love, and this is why I like all, I'm happy to follow and support all the Detroit sports teams, the Red Wings, the Pistons, the Lions, they, they all get involved in congratulating as well. And that's that's like a community thing you tend not to really see in football. You might at international level see that, but at club football, we don't really see that type of situation. And I, I just think that adds so much to the sport. And I, th- I think it's it's great. So I'm absolutely delighted to see it. I'm wearing a Blue Jays t-shirt tonight in honour of the ballpark uh, that I, I have seen Miggy play there and in honour of the ballpark that he he knocked it out of the park. I think, what's the Blue Jays stadium like, Al? Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I think it, the roof was off at the weekend. So we went in uh, opening day 2019, uh, covered stadium. Uh, I, I think it, it lends something to the to the atmosphere. Um, it's obviously modern. It, it, it looks good. Uh, I was in the good seats with a with a full house. Uh, it's a fantastic atmosphere. Um, by the end of the series, we were in the cheap seats uh, up up in the gods. But it was a, you know, a great great view of the game. Actually, we were right behind uh, home plate. Uh, so one worth visiting, and it's a it's a great city to visit Toronto, and it's in the it's in the centre, it's in downtown, in the city centre, as we would call it. So, uh, give give it a go. Absolutely, and I know there's a big Scottish connection to Toronto. I think there's been a lot of emigrants from Scotland ended up in Toronto over the years as well, and quite a lot of people here who still have relatives have certainly always helped. It's a fantastic city, Alan. Actually, in the subject of the Blue Jays, had it not been for the continued heroics of Otani. I wonder if Vlad Guerrero Jr. would have been in the running to be this season's MVP, given his own stats at the moment as we speak. I think he's 36 or or 37 homers, I think, uh, and is having a really stellar season and still still only just 22 years of age as well. Yeah, he's my favourite player just now. You know, it really is. And yeah, you've got, you've got to give it to uh, Otani, haven't you? But yeah, Vlad, yeah, I think he's uh, phenomenal. But just just one thing I'd chip in for Miggy, it's an amazing achievement. And he's only 45 hits off 3,000. And, um, you know, I'd like to see him do that this year. And if he does that, then he's he will become only the seventh player to have 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. So um, actually, uh, there's an, another current player who's got that Albert Pujols. But you look at the others, you know, you're talking about Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, Alex Rodriguez, and um, you know, to join that group of players is it's quite phenomenal, really. Just um, amazing that these, uh, you know, some sports, you know, they go back to the old days and uh, certain records sort of last forever, don't they? But in baseball, it's, it's basically still the same game, isn't it? Even though they complain about various changes. But the numbers seem to be 
the same, isn't it? It's very. I think it's quite weird as well. Is it three thousand strikeouts is a thing for a for a um, for a pitcher as well? But yeah, and to have that batting average, like you said, still career batting average of over three three eleven. Uh, yeah. It's phenomenal. Says a lot about the guy. Yeah, I wondered about the three thousand this season because I thought that's forty five is a lot of hits. But then, when you, if you're batting over three hundred in your lifetime, that's one a game. Uh, so you're going to forty five games left or whatever. You're going to get a chance to do that. So it'd be fantastic to see and maybe a wee bit of theatre towards the end of the, the season. I'll maybe finish on that. Cabrera's uh, fantastic feat uh, because shortly after that um, the Daz Cameron came along with uh-huh. a, a double uh, batted uh, a couple of one one RBI was it one RBI I think and he was he was batted in himself just after that so that was his first hit coming back from injury for the Tigers after four or five tough outings for him so he secured the victory. And I think it was actually quite nice to see because I think the Tigers were desperate to get that win for Miggy on that day as well. So whilst Daz may have struggled at bat in his return, uh, he delivered the goods when it mattered most, as any good Cameron would. (laughs) Fantastic, fantastic. Dave Junior, I know we talked earlier about how some teams maybe once they realise that the season's likely to to peter out, might kind of switch off even subconsciously a little bit. Can that work the other way? So when you're like the White Sox and you know you're you're comfortably on your way to winning your division, can there be a little bit of element of taking the foot off the gas for winning teams as well? Well, um, it's absolutely a, a valid point. Uh, again, you can see that in football leagues as well. So the the one thing that comes back with the White Sox is that we've started to get some players back in the last few weeks and really bolster the lineup. So if there was any indication of taking the foot off the pedal, these guys are wanting to come in and they're big, big players for us uh, or they, they should be big players. So to have them coming back and adding something, I think rejuvenates the team. Uh, the, the other point is, uh, and I don't, quite understand this fully but your record for the season will contribute to who you get in the playoffs so if the White Sox are to carry on and, and still play well I think there's a chance of getting a more favourable draw although having said that you could end up with the Yankees who are on an absolute hot streak as, as Dave mentioned um, I think it's always in the best intentions to to keep going and give your best uh, almost towards the end of the season uh, I think there's that stat going back a couple of years about the Nationals that finished you know, winning something like 20 or 30 games in the bounce got into the playoffs and then winning their, their first World Series um, and I, I think there was another that to counter maybe in Cleveland or Minnesota but it was definitely in American League Central one of those two teams went on and won 20, 25 games in the trot a couple of years ago and you know, went on to get cuffed 3-0 in the playoffs so who knows if, if a hot streak takes you in there, um, you'd rather be in there than not and then deal with things. Um, but I'd imagine all professionals will want to really keep it going, tick it, keep it ticking over, don't pick up any needless injuries in the run-in because we are you know, we're coming into September, the last real month of, of open play. Uh, there's a whole lot to play for. You know, I, I think it's a shame out of the four of us, sorry Alan, maybe Detroit, 
probably out of things, although they've their own aspects there to chase. So second place is absolutely up, up for grabs. Um, but, you know, Seattle, you could have your fate in your own hands, Richard. I think you've got Oakland over the next couple of nights who are ahead of you in the wildcard rankings, only a couple of games behind. Dave, you know, Boston have got everything to fight for. Um, I can't remember if, if you're second or third just now, but it's absolutely everything to play for in that division as well. And you've, you know, Allen's top, the you know, the Blue Jays, a strong fourth place team. What a nightmare division. We've spoken about it before, the poor, poor Orioles um, that are really, it must be pretty hard turning up some weeks for them. Um, a really hard division. But coming back to you, to answer your question, Richard, I think the White Sox, um, looking at you, in that season well, we've performed really quite well. We came into it with with the status of, of a team that should be making the playoffs and, and could be title contenders. So they've lived up to that with some real um, some real bad injuries. Um, I always mention the end of August being a tricky one for the White Sox because four series in a row of playing the Yankees, the Athletics, uh, Toronto and do, 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 Tampa Bay. How could I forget? Probably the best team in the American League just now. And that was eight, 14 games against those four teams. Uh, and just now we're, we lost to Toronto narrowly 2-1 last night. But um, again, we're up at their bat. But we've, across all those teams, we've been hitting for 500, uh, which is which I think is great. Um, Dave mentioned the Yankees earlier, that 10-game hot streak. <laughs> Two of those games were against the White Sox. I watched the games. There wasn't a lot in it at all. It really could have went either way. Look at the Yankees. I think some of those games included Minnesota. I know they included the Red Sox. Um, I think there's another, maybe Kansas, that the Yankees rolled over as well. So I'm not saying they've had a favourable draw, but perhaps 10 wins in the bounce. It could have went differently. Um, and I don't think that American League uh, East is, is over and done with just quite yet. No, I think you're right there, uh, Dave Jr. And you're absolutely right about the Mariners and their situation. The, the rest of August, the week remaining in August, is going to be absolutely huge for the Mariners' ambitions because, yeah, they've got the, the A's. They beat the A's yesterday 5-3, which was a huge result. Need to get a result against them again uh, next time out. And then the Astros get a series coming up against the Astros as well. So... Yeah, they'll be tough, but you know what? Mariners are in good form. Won seven out of the last ten. Both the Astros and the Athletics are in losing streak, but not streaks, but over the last ten, they're in, they're in the kind of negative side of things. Uh, so, yeah, we're in a good position. Still very much in the hunt. Uh, we're just a few, you know, into the last week of August. So that's probably a situation that any any Mariners fans will have settled for, I think, at the, at the start of this 2021 MLB season. Obviously, I'm a bit biased when it comes to the Mariners, so I'd be keen to hear if you guys think they've got a realistic chance of either topping the AL West or claiming a strong enough second to get in the, the playoff mix. Alan, what do you reckon? You're a sensible man. Yeah, I've been focusing obviously on the, on the Tigers. I've been hoping... As I say, I think I told you before, I tend to look and see how many teams with a better percentage are. But we're, unfortunately, we're floating around about nine or ten, so that's not really changing a lot. The, the Mariners, um, it's not inconceivable. Uh, 
think you're currently third place in, in the AL West, although five and a half games behind. Hmm. Uh, not not impossible. I think you're probably looking at a playoff slot. And then if you're looking at a playoff slot, uh, you're obviously talking about um, potential the, 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 the Yankees and the Red Sox, who you're not far behind the Red Sox. Um, the Yankees, I think, are on the same points as the Astros just now. So, need to keep it going, Richard. Um, because uh, Daz's dad, Mike Cameron, has a job there consulting and helping with the coaching. So uh, I'll, I'll 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 lend my weight and my support to you there, Richard, and I hope the the Mariners do it. I appreciate that. Thank you, Alan. And and I think you if we can have another seven three result over the next ten games, yeah. I think at the very least they'll be they'll be right in in the mix at least. Yorkshire, Dave, what do you reckon from from all the way over on the other coast in Boston? What do you reckon to the Mariners' chances yeah, it's, it's over this closing stretch? It's almost directly opposite, isn't it? East and, east and west. But they did make a few moves, didn't they? The Mariners, quite quite good ones as well, without knowing the absolute details. Did they, did they trade, um, was it a starting pitcher, Anderson? I might be wrong. Tyler Anderson, was he one of the trades and uh, a relief pitcher? And um, another got rid of one of our guys in the fantasy team with a grave man. Yeah, yeah, I think they sort of mixed it up a bit, haven't they? And um, I think this is something teams need to do. You know, it's a long season, isn't it? You know, and August is the you know sort of middle and end of August is when you know hundred games plus you know injuries. Sometimes you can be fortunate, like Dave, and you've got players coming back. But, you know, players can hit in a slump or um, get injured. And this is what teams do. They, they strengthen the squad or liven it up a bit, bring in a couple of players. And I think the Mariners might be timing it just about right, you know, getting, getting uh, you know, coming into form at, at the right time. If they can put a run together, oh, well, they're only three games away from uh, the second Walker place, I think. So um, you know that you know that that can go in a series, can't it? They play certainly play the Red Sox quite soon, don't they? So um, it's, it's uh, it is a fascinating time, isn't it? You know, you'd like to be uh, still top of the top of the league and putting your feet up, but um, it's uh, you know it's good it's good for the game, good for the fans, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a classic, I think, really interesting division. I'm not just saying that because it's the one the Mariners are in, but I think there's a lot. A lot to be interested in. It's a really close kind of three-way race at the top of the division there. And yeah, you're right. I think bringing Anderson was helpful. It gave him another option in terms of starting rotation. Uh, and a wee side note there, the Mariners have got an awful lot of people within the organisation who were formerly the Colorado Rockies. Yeah, taking a, And actually, that's where Anderson was, a, I think, a first-round draft pick 10 years ago this year. So the, the, you would hope... There'd be people in Seattle's organisation who really know and understand what he can bring. And yeah, I think you're right. I think the Mariners have, have been smart in their recruitment and smart in their, their strategy for moving people on as well. So yeah, whatever happens from here on in, it's been a really positive season for them. And it's talking about positive seasons, Alan. How are we looking in the world of the British baseball podcasters? Fantasy League, is that a positive story for us? Are we red hot like the Yankees or are we suffering a slump? Let us know. Yeah, well, Dave was going on about 
I, I don't have any interest in the playoffs as a Tigers fan, but all, all my playoff interest is focused firmly in, in, in the fantasy league. Uh, that might be the way I lead my life, but hey, there we go. It's um, it, it's exciting stuff just now. Um, we had a narrow win last week, 4-3, so that's three points shared. So it's five and a half, four and a half. Um, the top six make the playoffs and we are sitting in sixth place. Uh, one and a half games ahead of Yankees. Uh, and four games ahead ahead of teen tops. The interesting thing is four and five are only a game and a half ahead of us, so it's pretty tight. Uh, we actually play four and seven, uh, big lead two and Yankee in the next two weeks. Uh, so this week we're hoping to rack up a few points and try to consolidate our position somewhere in the top six. I think the top three spots are looking quite well established. Birds of balls, fly ball to the moon, new market, greyhounds. So, yeah, I think I'm um, <laughs> still thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, we're making some... We've had a few injuries in the catcher front. Dave put your boy Torrens from Seattle in, in there last week, so he's 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 catching tonight as well. I see, but we're now making a few changes. We're, there's been we, we've actually had a fairly settled team, other than injuries, as we seem to have uh, established something. We got a good balance, I think, between relievers and starters uh, in the pitching. But I've, we've chucked in Ryan Tapera of the White Sox. Um, uh, we made one or two changes at the back end of last week and terms of salvaging some extra points, which did well. We actually, um, <laughs> in the 11th innings of two games, uh, we actually had two successes there. Uh, I think Soto got the win for the Tigers. Uh, and we also had, in the 11th innings of the Seattle game on Sunday, uh, so it was a home run or extra runs scored as well. So that actually earned us an extra point. But, Tapera we've put in, and we've also put in um, from the Seattle Mariners again at third base, Abraham Toro, who seems to be a new upcoming young lad who's got some pretty impressive stats uh, for the the time he's been in there. So that's allowed us to pick him up under the radar. I'm yeah, I think he was one of the guys that made in the trade, wasn't he, Toro? Yeah. What, what's his name, Dave? Toro. What, sorry, what is it? Toro. What is it? <laughs> Go, go get it. Say, Toro, Toro, Toro. Toro, Toro. Sorry. <laughs> Missed that one. So, um, now I've been, D D Dave and myself, uh, and we've been put up from you two guys as well. It's been, it's been good to sort of chat about that and to learn more and understand all about it. And it, but I've enjoyed knowing a wee bit more about your teams as well. Uh, and I think we've, we've got a good balance. So let's get into playoffs. Let's get some playoff experience. And let's get ready for 2022. But as we were saying earlier, in, in this type of situation, um, it, it's not unreasonable. You could have a good week. Uh, playoffs are a one-off one game. So there's no no reason why if you get there, you can't go and win the big one. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be against uh, bringing tactics into play this year. I think this is a big week. You know, uh, last it, without being disparaging to the team we're playing against, they're sort of uh, quite low down. And I think so. 
to, if I'm perfectly honest, looking at some, I don't think some of the other teams perhaps pay as much attention to their fantasy league team as we do. You know, we've really bought into it, haven't we? And uh, you look at some of the teams and they haven't made any moves. You look at their roster and quite a few of them, you know, have got injured players who are not on the injured list. So I'm not sure. And they're still doing quite well, aren't they? They obviously made some pretty good picks. But, you know, I would be keeping an eye on it, as I know you do, Alan, this week. And uh, especially the the averages, you know, if we're, if we're ahead on those, um, you know, in the last couple of games, I won't be against benching a few yeah. guys that if we're ahead on the uh, you, you know what I'm talking about don't you so yeah. it's cleverly put together in the whole thing where some of the categories reward your players pitching and batting more bats so the more innings you pitch the more strikes you're likely to get and uh, the more at bats you have the more runs RBIs etc but it can hurt your average yeah. so uh, it's yeah, a fascinating Fascinating mix. I think you look at something and you think, oh, we've got that wrapped up. But there's then consequences of doing that elsewhere. So what one thing I think I've worked out, which seems a little bit odd, but when you drop a player, as, as we're suggesting there, we'll drop some players at the weekend, uh, you then wait, I think, three or four days before you can have them back in your team. So mm-hmm. you drop, obviously, a player... And then you say, well, I'm not going to have him for half of next week, which I think we, we did last weekend because it, we, we needed the point. Uh, but the odd thing there is you could drop a starting pitcher and he's available to be picked up again before he pitches again. But you can't really do that with a batter. Yeah, you've got to be really cagey about him. I don't think any of us understand. It's quite a complex yeah, <laughs> the whole thing. But we've learned we've learned a lot, and uh, you know, let's face it, we're doing pretty well. For, you know, six. Uh, it's amazing, isn't it? The last two games. This is sort of we're in week twenty now, so and it yeah. goes twenty-two weeks. So I think this is a big week where we hopefully can pick up a few points. But it's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> the way it's scheduled the last, our last two week games against our nearest competitors, seven and eight, aren't they? So, gosh, it's, uh, it's almost more exciting than the real thing. <laughs> it is for one of us. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing a great job, Ren, by the way. Thank you. On the subject of, uh, I was thinking about, about global stuff there earlier on. I think, Alan, you were talking about the number of, of of people who'd reached the 500 landmark, you know, from a global background there. But one of the big friends of the Highland bullpen is Campbell McLaren, the mixed martial arts legendary co-creator of UFC and the, the head honcho of what was formerly Combati Americas and now Combati Global, which is a, a fantastic mixed martial arts promotion. Just to let listeners know, they recently held a first ever tournament in Europe, which was a, a huge success. So just to say, great to see Campbell, who is a friend of the Highland Bullpen and his organisation, continuing to do great. So, yeah, I just thought I'd drop that in. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It was a good chat with him. Uh, 
I was wondering one thing we've not touched on yet, and I know one of us would have watched it fairly closely, uh, Dave Jr., but Field of Dreams, did that send you to bed that night dreaming? What a night. What a night. Um, that is that's already just my standout baseball memory. I mean, the film always meant something to me. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but there's... It gives a link there. It's a baseball film, as we all know, but the real thing in there is that parental bond between father and son. Um, and I'm sure that translates to mothers and daughters as well. Um, but on this occasion, it's a bit more direct with, with father and sons. So we spoke about the game last year at this point. We spoke about the game a few weeks ago, but the actual unfolding of the event was absolutely incredible. So I, I would... I will not do it justice with any type of review. Um, the clips and condensed versions of the games are out there on YouTube. There are plenty of news articles. I'm sure that um, if I supply some to, to Alan, he maybe put it out on the, the old Twitter account. Um, but for once, for, for sport or for a nation who are quite often accused of being a little bit over the top, the, the game played was so simple. The, the build-up was just beautifully simple as well. Um, there was no, no, no fireworks, no over-the-top, no cheerleaders everywhere. It was really about the film and about taking baseball back to its roots. Uh, and from the very start, you had the teams and Kevin Costner coming out of the corn at the far end of the of the field, making their way. You know, and I'm, I, I couldn't believe the respect from the crowd. There wasn't any applause. There, it was just hushed silence. And it wasn't, boredom in any way it was just absolute what a spectacle that that appeared to be um i know i'll maybe jump to dave in a couple of minutes if that's okay dave i think dave caught up with some of the game um and he he kind of sent a one word review back that kind of summed it up um but in terms of the game itself it was from start to finish beautifully done absolutely beautifully done you know the yankees led things then the white Sox came back the Yankees were leading coming into the very last. Uh, and then our uh, our fire starter, our, the, the guy that kicks everything off for is Tim Anderson, who is, is really coming on to a game now. He's, he's supported, if you excuse the Hollywood pun, he's supported by a great cast just now. Uh, but he hit a walk-off home run. So, again, for those of you not in the know, that's the last, effectively the last kick of the game, the last touch um, the last at bat, and he knocked it into the cornfields, and the place just went wild. You had the fans, the teams, even the Yankees who lost on the night. All of their players, their management staff, were saying afterwards, "What an experience! Would have loved to have won, but what an experience!" Um, and it, yeah, there are stats galore about the game, which again, but it could take up a whole episode in itself. I don't know if Alan and Richard have watched the game or the condensed game. It's well worth watching as a group, perhaps one night, even the, the seven or eight minute version. But the, the ending of the, of the game with Tim Anderson, it's <laughs> the, the craziest stat that jumps out is that 15 times, bear in mind, White Sox and the Yankees are probably two of the oldest organisations in baseball, real heritage there. They've played each other countless times over the years. There, there have only been 15 walk-offs in that whole period. Uh, sorry, and... And last week was the, was the 15th. The very first walk-off to ever take place was in favour of the White Sox against the Yankees. 
And the man that hit that home run was Shoeless Joe Jackson, who the film itself was written about. Now, that is that is complete Hollywood, you know, in a box there and then. For that to happen, again, you can go back and watch the game over and over. The, the sunsets in Ohio, over that cornfield, watching a very small amount of fans were there to keep it again, keep that atmosphere. Uh, all the old uniforms, but to see everything come full circle and be tied up in that little bow was absolute box office. Yeah, well, well said, Dave. Well said. It it was absolutely <laughs> use this word sparingly, but it really was awesome. Um, it, you know, it couldn't have been done any better, and um, you know, it was a real Hollywood ending, wasn't it? And Kevin Costner really must be congratulated. You know, he's. Um, he loves the game, doesn't he? You know, and he he made that film uh, Bull Durham um, um, earlier. I think it was only a couple of years earlier. A film I really like, and um, I don't know what his involvement was in the production of Field of Dreams, but he's stuck with it all the way, hasn't he? And he's uh, he, he did make another baseball film for the love of the game, but you know, Field of Dreams is incredibly special film and um, it uh, wasn't corny at all was it <laughs> unlike, the, unlike that one. it was just it was just a really brilliant film there was a lot of home runs in it wasn't there and uh, you know you, uh, it's hard to feel sorry for a Yankee but Aaron Judge uh, must have thought he'd really uh, you know stamped his name on the on the game with his uh, second home run of the, up the night but up steps uh, Tim Anderson and um, yeah, I, it was superb, wasn't it? And I, I love the kit they wear, the, the, the Chicago whites. You need to get one of them shirts, Dave. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's they're, absolutely superb. They're quite something there. Just when you talk about Field of the Dreams again, there's so many stats have come out about it. Um, I was reading that Tom Hanks was originally lined up to play uh, oh, really? that role before Kevin Costner stepped in. Yeah. Um, Kevin Costner had a lot to say. You know, when they were talking about the actual the movie itself, um, the amount of kind of ad libbing that took place and, and came over from the cast. I, I forget the gentleman's name. You know, the, the boy that played Darth Vader's voice, uh, James Earl Jones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he came up with his little speech about baseball in America. That was that purely came from him as well. Um, but the the MLB they have announced for twenty twenty two there will be a another game taking place so that will feature uh, the White Sox crosstown rivals the Cubs uh, against the Reds so, uh, again I hadn't quite realised the Reds have got a hell of a history they're, I think they might actually be the oldest team in America they're definitely mm. one of maybe the top three oldest oldest teams but uh, please for anyone listening if you haven't watched the film watch the film if you haven't caught the, the five, six, seven minute condensed version of the, the game go and watch it if you're listening to this you've got an appreciation for baseball and this will only make it it'll drive it further home with you um, yeah, and I think the one word I would say is um, from my perspective the game was amazing <laughs> oh yeah top one that's good and if, if you'll allow me to sort of change subject change tights for a little bit that um, 
at, on the evening itself, you had many father and sons in attendance. So a lot of White Sox and Yankees legends brought their sons. Um, people made it a real family occasion. Again, tickets were, were so, so scarce. Um, but a little, just a little anecdote from this week. I don't know if any of you caught it during the game between the Phillies and the Padres. So something, it's one of those rare occasions in sport when family come up against each other. And there's always kind of something quite interesting. So the, the Padres were fielding a catcher, Austin Nolan, uh, who's been with them for a while. And up against him was his little brother, Aaron Nolan. So Aaron's 28 and Austin's 31. Uh, you know, the Phillies, not a bad team. Uh, you know, the Padres have been doing well for an extent this season. They've dropped off a wee bit. But this is the first time in their careers that they've ever come up against each other. So Aaron, the pitcher, and up, up to the plate steps Austin, the older brother. Um, and Aaron, three balls, three fastballs, straight down the middle. Uh, and putting his, making his his big brother walk back to the dugout, um, <laughs> and just knocked him out with. Again, it shows you that that intensity that you can sometimes hit on that day. So those were uh, Aaron's fastest pitches of his career, uh, which <laughs> it just shows you if you're coming up against your brother. So there's two two other points in the back of that. The first one, they actually they used the same ball for all three pitches, and it's went back to the Nolan, sorry, the Nola family household and Aaron said he's going to make sure he gets it all wrapped up and put in a frame and given to his brother for Christmas which I thought was lovely um, but the other point is if you cut to when that was happening they cut to the, the stands and you had the brother's parents watching on and you had the dad with a Phillies jersey on and over the top of it he had a Padres jersey so again just completely in support of both his sons which I thought on the back of the field of dreams, the father-son chats. Uh, I, I thought that was a really strong message to send out. It must be hard to watch your, your sons combat against each other. Uh, one quite clearly coming out ahead of the other. Uh, but it's really a beautiful family moment. I can't imagine a better moment to wrap up this week's episode of the Highland Bullpen. Thanks to Bullpen Bros, Alan Yorkshire, Dave and Dave Jr. Remember to follow and share on our social media channels and we will see you next time on the Highland Bullpen.